What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hoops Observer Podcast, where we talk about everything from old school to new school basketball. Today's topic is going to be the NBA offseason. I'm going to talk about who got better, who got worse, and everything in between. But before I do, if you could please leave a like and subscribe to this podcast if you've not done so already. It just takes a few seconds and it goes a long way. I look forward to bringing you more content in the future, so stay tuned. But for now, let's break down this offseason. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a little while since the last podcast, but glad to be back and glad to be talking NBA and hoops with everybody. What a crazy offseason it's been. Um, If it feels like um, we just ended the basketball season, it's because we did. But man, did we have one heck of an offseason. It's uh, it's definitely the shortest offseason we've had. Typically, you know, the NBA offseason is about 27 weeks or so. This year, it's going to be about 9 or 10 for the Lakers and Heat. Before that, um, I think the shortest was in 2017 when the NBA pushed or moved up the start date of the season, excuse me, uh, because this, to get rid of the back-to-backs, and that was in the summer of 2017 when the Warriors beat the Cavs in five games. That was 18 weeks So, yeah, we crushed that record, but let's talk about who some of the winners are and some of the losers are. I think, unfortunately, we're not going to get to every team today. I'm going to try my best to talk to as many teams as possible, but won't have time to really break down every move. So, for instance, I apologize in advance to teams or fans like the Memphis Grizzlies. I will not be breaking down D'Anthony Melton signing for four years and $35 million and how that impacts the long-term future of the team. With that said, let's go ahead and talk about who I think were the biggest winners of the offseason, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. So what a big offseason for the Lakers already. They locked up Anthony Davis for five years, $195 million, which was probably a little bit longer than people thought he was going to sign for. I think a lot of people thought he was going to do like the like what KD was doing, Golden State or even LeBron um, in Cleveland with the, the you know, the two year with the opt out of year one or maybe two three year contract with opt out of year two but it was actually five years um 195 million and he does get to opt out at the end of year four and lebron you know typically someone who also likes to keep his options open signed a two-year 85 million extension that'll keep him with the lakers through 2023 so they're going to be there for a while. You know, that's easily going to keep the Lakers in contention and make them one of the top teams. So they got to be feeling really good about themselves. Not to mention they added Dennis Schroeder. Uh, Montrez Harrell was a big signing. Wesley Matthews. They kept Markeith Morris. Marcus Gasol. Now, don't get me wrong. They Losing Dwight, Rondo, and JaVale McGee is probably going to hurt them in certain ways. They're going to be a little bit of a different team they don't quite have the athletic big men in JaVale and Dwight that they do now with Marcus Gasol and, 
you know, Montrez Harrell isn't quite the the big man defender that Dwight and, and JaVale were. So maybe they'll miss that in the post. And obviously Schroeder and Rajon Rondo are just two completely different players. Um, Rondo being such a veteran and Schroeder being a little bit more of a scorer, a little bit more of a gunner. So you will miss that. I do think that it was worth it for the Lakers to get Schroeder. Um, I did see that, you know, he was already on on one of the interviews, on one of the podcasts, saying how he wants to be the starting point guard and not LeBron. Now, I don't, I don't know how that's going to go, but nonetheless, I do think it's interesting to see um, how that will all mesh out. You can run the, the pick and roll with Schroeder and Harrell. Kind of like Lou Williams, I guess that's what the Lakers were going for. But man, this team is definitely better than last year. I, I got to admit, um, for the most part, I do think the core group of Trez Harrell, Schroeder, Wesley Matthews, Marcus Saul is definitely better than the the group of Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, and JaVale McGee just as a whole, right? You would, if that was a trade, you would easily want those four players. It gives the Lakers depth. Now, obviously, they're going to probably do a lot more load management with LeBron and even Anthony Davis to an extent, I'm sure, like we talked about already. It was a very short offseason. These guys are pretty much going to be playing an entire season on top of the bubble. Now, you know, you can always play devil's advocate here and say, some to the effect of, well, they did have four or five months off before um, the bubble started, so it shouldn't be too bad. And, you know, someone else made a good point of how it's pretty much the the break that they get if they were to play in the Olympics versus starting the next NBA season. And I get that, but I think it's a little different, you know, in the NBA finals where everything's on the line and the games are a lot more intense, whereas with the Olympics, we all know how that goes pretty much, you know, you know, USA wins relatively easily when we're fully stacked. Now, we don't always win, um, as we've seen out in the past. But if we get pretty decent participation, then, you know, usually it goes fairly easily for them. So this Lakers team, they're deeper. They're deeper. I do expect them to lean on Schroeder, Tress Harrell. You know, you do kind of wonder where Kyle Kuzma fits in this now um caruso is still coming off the bench i'm sure he'll be fine and his role is just kind of like a spark plug kind of like a defensive stopper and he gets at it man he plays the passing lanes he makes big plays i think he's going to be more confident i think the lakers as a whole are going to be more confident they're going to be stronger just because of that championship experience i think anthony davis is going to take the next step i do think he's going to be a legitimate MVP candidate might even be looked at during the regular season as the best player in the Lakers. Now, don't get me wrong. LeBron's saving his energy because come playoff time, he's going to be back in the driver's seat and, and try to get his fifth finals MVP and his fifth championship. But I do think during the regular season, you'll see a little bit more of LeBron load management. And rightfully so. This guy, gosh, as crazy as sound, he's already in his 18th season. So, it's unparalleled what he's doing, and we got to give him a little bit of props for that. I do wonder if during the regular season, though, you'll see a little bit of a championship drop-off. A lot of times, with the exception of the Chicago Bulls, uh, they went from 72 wins down to 69, which really even wasn't even that bad of a drop-off. Other you know, quote-unquote dynasties have had championship drop-offs. The Warriors, when they first got Kevin Durant and 2017 
did go from 67 wins or did win 67 games, I should say. And then in the following 2018 season, they only won 58. Uh, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers won 67 games in the 2000 season. And then in 2001 season, which is also arguably their greatest team, play, especially during the playoffs, you know, they only lost one game and had the record there. They only won 56 regular season games. And the Kobe and Powell team, same thing. They had 65 wins in the regular season in 2009 to 57 wins in 2010. So you do wonder if the Lakers are going to see a drop off there. But in all things being equal, a lot of teams, you know, as we're going to talk about here, didn't really get better. I, I don't, you know, not transitioning a little bit here to the Clippers now. I'm not mad at their offseason. I think they're still. I think the LA teams are still the two best teams in the West. Um, I think Denver took some hits by losing Jeremy Grant. They lost also the Plumlee brother, Mason Plumlee. They did get Jermichael Green, and I think they're hoping that he'll kind of take over. And I think that they're thinking that Michael Porter will, you know, kind of step up and show more of those flashes. Maybe even Bull Bull will show more of those bubble flashes they had and and take bigger responsibility maybe Jamal Murray shows that consistent leap because while Jamal played great in the bubble he didn't quite put up those numbers in the regular season and you do wonder if that was just more of a trend because a lot of players not just Jamal Murray not calling him out at all but a lot of players looked a lot better in the bubble than they did in the actual season prior to the bubble so you do wonder if there's a little bit of the bubble effect. I even saw Dame Lillard was talking about it on an interview with Fat Joe, basically saying how, in a way, it was easier for them because they were already at the arena. They got to go to sleep early. They didn't have to travel. They got their rest. So you wonder if no no crowd, no fans. It's just kind of them shooting around. It's almost like a shoot around, but it's obviously more serious than that because the NBA championship was online. But going back to my point here, I do think – you know, as they start to travel and especially things with like COVID and, and everything else going on in the world, you do wonder if they'll be able to keep up those insane shooting rates that they were at, you know, during the, the bubble. But back to the, you know, the Western Conference overall. Now, I'll, I'll make another podcast detail on my standings, but long story short, I don't think the Clippers had as bad as an offseason as people make it out to be now. Unfortunately, the Clippers didn't really address their main need, which was a playmaking point guard. They, from what I hear, you know, they wanted Rajon Rondo really hard. I do like the addition of Serge Ibaka. Some people say he's a better player than Trez. In fact, some people say even Marcus Morris is a better player than Trez. I don't know about that because I think they're a little bit older and Trez Harrell's definitely a younger player. But I think they're different players. And what I'm getting at here is I think they're going to fit better. Serge Ibaka brings, you know, veteran championship experience to the team. And Marcus Morris, uh, you know, he's definitely outspoken. He's a tough guy. And and I think now that he's built a little rapport with the team, he'll, you know, be a little more comfortable taking that leadership role. You know, as you read about it, he tried to do that early on, but a lot of guys were like – you know, dude, you got here in a trade deadline deal. We really don't want you bossing us around. So I think now that they'll have a little bit of a 
time to get together and you know build a little bit of chemistry that Marcus Morris can help out. But you do wonder um, how much the epic collapse of the Clippers is going to motivate them. You know, because at the end of the day, it was bad. <laughs> you know, let's just be honest. It was bad. And I think the worst part was they talked so much trash before it happened. Had the Clippers just been a little more humble, a little more down to earth. And some of that is, you know, on them. They they were parading like they had already won the championship, which was unique to me because with the exception of Kawhi, I don't think many people on that team had won a championship unless you're counting older veterans. Uh, Paul George hadn't. I know Lou Will hadn't. Pat Beverly hadn't. Trez Harrell hadn't. Like the, the the Morris, Marcus Morrison, Zubox didn't. So a lot of those players weren't really championship players. They, I think they got a little too excited with Paul George. He was coming off a great season in OKC. Unfortunately, his shoulder injuries hindered him down towards the end of the year. And I think even during the bubble, which, you know, he was pricking shots off the backboard. So he wasn't the same person that he was last year. You wonder if him hearing all this trash talk and how much flack they've caught in for really just really just choking. You know, there's no better way to put it. Choking in epic fashion. You wonder if this will motivate them and, and, you know, make them get a little tougher or, you know, will this just be a continuing trend? Like, because here's the thing, like Kawhi's not a leader. Kawhi's not going to pull you to the side and say, all right, we need to do this different. We need to do that different, which, and neither is Paul George. In fact, I I saw the uh, Paul George interview on all the smoke where he was talking, he basically blamed Doc Rivers. Like, let's just call it what it was. He basically blamed Doc Rivers and said, you know, Doc makes no adjustments and he wants to be more pick and roll oriented. And he felt like Doc Rivers was trying to make him into a J.J. Redick um, type of player, Ray Allen type of player, which, you know, it was just kind of BS to me, to be honest with you. And, you know, I, I, did, I did some research, the NBA advanced stats show that Paul George, as the primary ball handler, ran more pick-and-roll plays at, in fact, it was 32.9, basically 33% of his plays as the primary ball handler were pick-and-roll with the Clippers, which was up dramatically from his prior two years where he was 24 and a half with OKC and then 25.2 in his other year with his two years with OKC. So you do wonder... If he just really was just trying to take a shot at Doc, which I don't know, that whole thing just kind of seemed a little. And I'm not. If you know me, I'm not a big Doc fan. I, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm not, but I'm not a big Doc fan. Just trust me, you'll learn as you listen more and more. I'm not a big Doc fan, but I do think it was a little shady of him to do that, and I think it was a little petty and kind of weak. I don't know. I mean, you just kind of want Paul George maybe to say something along the lines of. You know what? I made some mistakes. I don't really think I was focused during the bubble. Um, Or maybe, you know, he could even talk about how the team wasn't gelling and, you know, maybe he should have taken more ownership and tried to, you know, wrap guys around his shoulder, you know, kind of like a leader would do. Because if they had won, he would have wanted all the praise and, and maybe rightfully so. But 
it just and you know when you factor in some of Paul George's other you know I, I, yeah, I've kind of heard the name I won't take credit for it the name playoff disappearance P um, which is kind of what he's done I mean the guy passed on a game winning shot in 2017 against the Cavs so like CJ Watson he shot two for 16 one uh, in the closeout game against the Utah Jazz so he hasn't exactly been a playoff savior so I think maybe just a little more humility and a little less finger point on someone who can't defend themselves could have went you know a long way there not gonna lie I mean just a cheap shot it is what it is at Doc he talked about how they didn't make adjustments during the playoff series. He was like, you know, oh, well, we were up 3-1, and we thought we were good after game five. We're up 3-2, but coach never made the adjustments. But, like, he didn't speak up, and it's obvious he's one of those people that didn't say anything in the heat of the moment either. He just let it happen. So not a big fan of Paul George. I think anybody who's a respectable human being can't be a big fan of Paul George after learning it. And there's there's way more dirt to that story, but we're just going to keep it there very high level. However, going back to the main topic at hand here, I do feel like it's still the Lakers and Clippers to lose. Whoever wins the Battle of LA um, is coming out the West. It's just that simple. Um, the Warriors, going to them now, I mean, gosh... You just feel bad for them. This is two years in a row. They've just been devastated by injury after all that success. Losing Clay for the year. Clay tore his Achilles, as we all know, in the 2019 files. He then proceeded to... I mean, excuse me. He tore his ACL in the 2019 files. He then proceeded to tear his Achilles during a workout. Uh, I don't know if it was pickup games or like a Golden State workout or some kind of workout with some friends, whatever it was. He tore his Achilles in that workout. So that's two back-to-back just gruesome injuries for Clay. I think Clay will be back, I think, with modern sports science and everything else. And his just his game, you know, you don't really see a lot of <laughs> – you don't see a lot of – um Clay highlights where he's, you know, crossing someone up or speeding by someone. That's not really his game. You know, the guy scored, what was it here? If I'm not mistaken, it was 60 points on only 11 dribbles, which is insane. So I do think Clay's shooting will be there when he gets back. Unfortunately, his defense will definitely take a hit. Clay was one of the better two-way players. Some people think he was the best two-way wing in the entire league when you factor in offense and defense kind of package and what you get from him, both sides of the ball. So that's going to hurt them. And, you know, quite frankly, it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs, I think, this year. Now, they, they did get Kelly Oubre, who I thought was a nice signing um, you know, very similar kind of a hustle player. They're going to run a lot, I think, with Golden State. They don't have the shooting, though. Oubre is not the shooter, and, and neither is Andrew Wiggins. Uh, definitely not Draymond Green. And you're curious how Wiseman's going to fit into all this. Are they going to just, you know, turn the keys over right away and try to make him a focal point? Or are they going to even go as crazy as to bring him off the bench? I think what they'll do is they'll definitely start Curry and Draymond, obviously. And I think Oubre and Wiggins. But then from there, you wonder if they're going to, you know, bring 
Wiseman into the starting lineup right away, or they're going to maybe use another big that they have, like Eric Pascal or Kevon Looney as the big and bring Wiseman off the bench. So it's an interesting mix-up they have. I mean, I'm not mad at it. They got a lot of hustle, guys, so they'll definitely be running up and down the floor, but that shooting is just it's just not there compared to, I mean, don't get me wrong, you're, you're talking about Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant to Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, and, and Kent Bazemore, so yeah, that, that yeah, um, it's just gonna be a drop off. Um, and but even then, these guys, you know, they're not even, you know, they're average. Dare I even say slightly below average league sh- three point shooting. So you do wonder what Steph Curry has left in the tank. I think it's gonna be a big year for Steph, and I think Steph does make a case that he could be another MVP season. Like, it could be. I'm not saying he'll win MVP. I, I think that would really take a Herculean effort to, for him to actually win MVP. But we could look back one day and say this was one of Steph's better seasons or the season where Steph kind of redeemed himself and showed what he was worth overall. But, man, I tell you what, the Warriors, you know, as much as – I mean, I, I, I like the Warriors. I'm, I'm a Lakers fan, of course, but I, I have a lot of respect and being from Charlotte and, and seeing Steph Curry – you know, from when he was in high school and college playing to see where he is now, there's always a little bit of a, a sentimental, nostalgic value there. But man, it's going to be tough in the West for them to realistically say they're a lock for the playoffs. I, I, I honestly, I can't right now. Um, you know, I'm looking at the standings just overall. And, you know, like I said, I'll break this down more in another podcast where I think everyone's going to rank. But you got the the two LA teams. You got Denver. You got Utah. You got Dallas. You got Portland, Phoenix. That's already eight teams. Houston, if they keep James Harden, keyword if if they eat, keep James Harden, they're probably in the playoff mix. And you got you also got I haven't even mentioned the Pelicans and the Grizzlies yet. So the Western Conference is going to be really really tough. And I can't, you know, looking at it, I can't guarantee that the Warriors are going to be in. I thought I saw something interesting that the Warriors called about Harden. Now, Shams was talking about this on a podcast. He said they called about Harden. I'm pretty sure they got hung up on, but they offered a package of Wiggins, Kevon Looney, Eric Pascal, three first-round picks and two pick swaps. Now, one of those picks is relatively valuable it is the Minnesota first-round pick, which they got when they traded Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell. And no offense to Minnesota, but I don't even put them ahead of any of those teams I named. And so I can't quite, you know, I can't quite say that the Warriors will make it. And I do think that Minnesota pick will be valuable. I think it'd be interesting if Golden State after all those years of battling the Rockets, were the ones to acquire James Harden because I think most likely he's gone. He maybe, you know, maybe tries to to do the right thing here and play one year, but I think especially he's got two years left realistically. He's technically signed for three years, but he's got to opt out in two years. So if he's not happy in Houston, he'll definitely opt out. So you really have the 
decision kind of on your plate here if you're Houston to trade him now to to maybe play the season out, play like the first quarter or so, like 20, 25 games, see where you stand. Um, you know, obviously they just made the big trade um, with Westbrook and John Wall. It's an interesting dynamic because I think they're becoming more of a a fundamentally traditional team, if that makes sense. Like you got the point guard in John Wall, you got the two guard in James Harden, you got the center in DeMarcus Cousins, which I'm sure PJ Tucker is happy about because now he can slide to the four. And uh, you also got Eric Gordon and they signed Christian Wood, who everyone, you know, was kind of big on it, rightfully so, because he was playing on Detroit. And when this guy gets minutes, you know, he's playing solid. I did not like the trade. I think they – here's the other thing with Houston, though. I'm not big on them. I think they'll make the playoffs if they keep Harden and Harden doesn't pout. And when I say pout, think like Vince Carter in Toronto when he just didn't want to be there. and It was just obvious, and they traded him um, about – same amount of time, you know, like 20, 30 games into the season, they traded him to New Jersey. I think if Harden comes in like that with a bad attitude, he'll get traded and there's no way they make the playoffs unless they just get, you know, a superstar back. And that's a discussion for another day. But I think if they keep Harden, they'll make the playoffs. But I don't even know that for for certain. I think they definitely lost a trade with the Wizards. There's no way that you would rather have John Wall coming off two years of not even playing. Like, this guy really hasn't played a game since 2018, and we're on the very, very end of 2020. This guy hasn't played two years, basically. And even before then, he he had... He hasn't played more than 41 games since 2017, so he's definitely not a better player than Russ. I think the only thing you could really say that he is better than than Russ at, as much flack as Russ gets, because he's definitely one that you know the media kind of likes to hate on. Maybe it's because his personality. I don't know. A lot of people think he just stat pads. I mean, outside of three point shooting, I don't really think there's anything that you would take John Wall over Russell Westbrook. There's just no way that that anybody really would do it. I mean, think about it like this. Russell Westbrook has led the league in scoring twice. He's led the leagues in assists twice. Russell Westbrook is nine-time All-NBA player. Now, in in comparison, John Wall has made the All-NBA team once. That was the third team all NBA too. And we haven't even gotten to the point that Russell Westbrook was an MVP, averaged a triple double over three consecutive seasons. And when you look at the field goal percentage, like I said, outside of three point shooting, it's really not that much different. Not to mention, I mean, Rush just plays with so much heart and so much passion on his sleeves. There's just no way that if you take John Wall's best season, which was 2017, and you, I will take Russ right now over prime John Wall. Like, not even prime Russ. I'm talking about, like, Russ right now, today, if he had to put on the shoes and you could go back in time and get me 2017 John Wall. I would take Russ, no doubt about it. Russ has made the playoffs with way worse teams in the West, which is why I think that him and Bradley Beal will easily make the playoffs in the East. Now, I don't know if they'll really be a super threat. 
I wouldn't say they're going to be at the top of the list. I think that belongs to Milwaukee and Brooklyn. But I, I mean, I not only has Bradley, I mean, not Bradley Beal, not only has Russell Westbrook taken worst teams to playoffs in the West with nobody, he's now got Bradley Beal. And on the flip side of that, John Wall and Bradley Beal and the Wizards, they didn't really get along too well, I think. And he's taken them to the playoffs a few times, four times altogether in all those years there. So John Wall wasn't even a lock to make the playoffs like Russell Westbrook is. So with that being said, Wizards clearly got better. Um, I think Bradley Beal will play much better off the ball than James Harden will. James Harden needs the ball much more than Bradley Beal does. Um, I saw somewhere that James Harden prefers to play with John Wall. I don't buy that one bit. I, I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's like John Wall's agent spinning that. I don't know if that's someone from the Houston Rockets spinning that. But there's no way that you would want to play with um, Russell Westbrook. I mean, excuse me, that you would want to play with John Wall over Russell Westbrook. So no offense to John Wall because I think John Wall's great. Um, and, and it kind of comes off like I'm, I'm ragging on him here. But I just want to reiterate that I feel like the Wizards won that trade. I do wonder, because John Wall didn't want to play second banana to Bradley Beal. He's going to have no choice in Houston but to play to James Harden. But you do wonder, John Wall, one of the reasons why he and Bradley Beal didn't always get along is John Wall just needs the ball hot too. And James Harden needs the ball way more than Bradley Beal. Now, don't get me wrong. The Rockets are probably, to me, the biggest just straight question mark. Like, they could come out. If John Wall comes back and looks like 2017 John Wall and James Harden has a good you know, attitude, comes out and really wants to win it, DeMarcus Cousins, which was another interesting signing, comes out and looks about as close to his old self as possible, you could be looking at a team that's fighting for a home court in the West. Not better than two LA teams, but other than that, it's, it's pretty big free-for-all. But I didn't like that trade for them. And I didn't like the other trade they made, which isn't really talked about as much, the the Robert Covington trade, because, I mean, Robert Covington is just a solid 3 and D guy. Now, I really like that move for Portland, and let's just take a moment to talk about them. Portland is going to be a good team next year. I think they're a team, unlike the Houston Rockets, that kind of needs everything to go right for them. I think Portland Trailblazers are a team that will compete for the playoffs. They always beat expectations. People always pick Portland either not make the playoffs or just to make it as a six, seven or eight seed. And a lot of times Portland, you know, surprises people. Look, they got Robert Covington for basically nothing because Trevor Reza is a shell of himself. No offense to Trevor Reza, but Robert Covington um, brings them some defense because we all know that Portland defense was atrocious last year. It was at the bottom of the league. This he'll they'll at least give him someone that they could throw on like the star wing players. You can throw Covington on LeBron, you could throw Covington on Kevin Durant, etc. etc. So I do like that. I do like the fact that they got Cantor back as a backup center. Uh Nurkic will be back for a full year. They brought back Carmelo. Rodney Hood is back and he was out with a lot of injury troubles. So they basically got Covington, um, Rodney Hood and Cantor Whiteside. I'm sure everybody's glad he's gone Whiteside. When you look at his stats, you're like, man, this guy is really good. Like, why is he not talked about more? But then you see his attitude and you see 
he's definitely a stat chaser. He just chases the big swats and everything else. He doesn't quite play team basketball, and he's got a little bit of an attitude to him, too. He's had issues, you know, not getting along with teammates, not getting along with coaches, not wanting to sacrifice his stats. So I do like that makeup of that Portland team. I mean, their starting lineup probably be Dame, McCollum, you got Covington, maybe throw him at the three or the four. Probably Rodney Hood or Mello would be your other starter, and then Nurkic in the middle. So Nurkic gives them a good element because he's just – He's sort of a traditional big, and he's strong, and he's powerful, and he's got a pretty good post game. You know, if you watched him during the bubble, he looked pretty good, actually, all things considered. So I really like this Portland team. This Portland team does have the potential to, to fight for, for home court in the West, which is saying something because they are a team, like I said, I got about 10, maybe 11 teams that I think could make the playoffs in the West, and then I got about like five or six that I think are definitely making the playoffs. Portland is one of those teams that I think is definitely making those playoffs barring a catastrophic injury. Um, and, you know, we haven't even talked about Dame Lillard, um, who's going to be back and he's going to be ready to play. I just I just really like that lineup. Um, Gary Trent Jr. was kind of becoming a star in the bubble as well as one of their offense off the bench. I mean, that guy was shooting the lights out of the ball. And, you know, because of that, I, Portland's definitely a team to keep an eye on in the playoffs. Another team in the West, and we're, I promise we're going to get to the East here soon. Um, I just want to wrap up like one more topic on the West. Another team to keep your eye on is the Phoenix Suns. I just want to say I really like their moves too. Um, getting Chris Paul for Ricky Rubio, I mean, and 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 some other assets. I mean, come on. <laughs> and uh, Jay Crowder, I really like that Jay Crowder signing. That's a little bit of a sneaky signing. And and Dario Sarge, I like Dario Sarge as well. Um, I do think that that will you know help them out, and you know just kind of keeping the continuity together since he was already there and he kind of fit in well. And I like Cam Johnson. He's a good you know three and D defender. Good plays the stretch for it. I just I like that Phoenix Suns team. I think they're going to be one of the teams that's fighting for the playoffs. I think they'll be in, but I don't know if I have them on that list of teams that I guarantee will be in the playoffs because the West is just so stacked. Um, so let's see. Moving to the the East. And let's get right to it. The man, the myth, the soon-to-be legend, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, I wonder how he feels about everything because that's the biggest decision. Now that AD is locked up, and not only is AD locked up, he's not like he's going to be a free agent in 2021, um, which that class is going to be loaded, and that's a topic for another day. But that's the biggest decision right now is will he sign the Supermax? You know, did they do enough? The Drew Holiday move was solid. Uh, Eric Bledsoe was vastly underperforming in the playoffs. I mean, it was some of his playoff performances. You guys should look them up. They are just not good. To put this into perspective, and I won't spend too much time on this, but he shot in the series against the Miami Heat. He actually shot, and I'm and I'm not making this up, 21% from three and 33% from the series. He only averaged 11 points. Now, keep in mind that during the regular season, he shot 
a little better, but he's 34%, which isn't great, but it's, it's good enough, right? Um, Eric Bledsoe is not exactly known for his three-point shooting. He's known more for his tough defense and tenacity, um, but he just constantly underperformed. He didn't do well in the Toronto series, and getting a guy like Drew Holiday who just doesn't really hurt you on the defensive end, he's probably not as good as Eric Bledsoe as a one-on-one defender, but he's good enough. He's not going to hurt you. He doesn't have a negative value there on the defensive end. He could still hold his own. Much better offensive player. Much more polished. Can run the offense a little bit. Um, Definitely a little bit of a better shooter. I wouldn't say he's like that much better of a shooter. I I do think he's not going to like shoot you out of the games per se, Um, but he's not exactly, you know, Steph Curry either, but who is, right? Um, But the point here is that, man, much better of an upgrade. Um, but what really hurt them and what I've read and seen from Intel is that he, Giannis really wanted that Bogdanovich deal. Now, technically when I'm assessing this, I have to just pretend like the Bogdanovich deal didn't happen. We can't fault the, the bucks. They kind of counted the chickens before it hatched. I don't think that was the best move on their part to leak that before free agency started because the, uh, tampering beep, beep. Tampering alarms went off in the NBA, and and I think rightfully so. I think that was just a little too aggressive. Go ahead and put that information out there. But other than that, did they get better? Uh, you know, they got rid of Eric Bledsoe. They also got rid of George Hill. They lost Robin Lopez. They're losing a lot of their depth, and I'm not mad at you know they also lost Sterling Brown. I'm not mad at some of the the players that they brought in, like Bobby Portis and DJ Augustine. Um, now they're keeping DiVincenzo because of the trade falling through, and they got Torrey Craig from the Nuggets and Bryn Forbes, who's another you know decent shooter, not gonna set the world on fire. But I just you know it it if they had gotten Bogdanovich, they would have been scary. And you know I'm I'm not gonna keep harping on that because like I said, I gotta evaluate this like it didn't happen. But right now, I think the Bucks are. Definitely a threat to win. The, I mean, you got Giannis, right? But I don't think they're a lock to win the East. And I think right now everybody's kind of like – they're like the Houston – ironically, we were just talking about the Houston Rockets. They're like the Houston Rockets of the East. Like, all right, yeah, you guys always look good in the regular season, but miss me with the – you know, don't give me another two for 11 game or don't give me a game where you're Giannis and you're like, well, my coach you know, wanted to stick the rotation and I didn't want to guard Jimmy Butler and the coach didn't want me to guard Jimmy Butler. So I just, I just didn't take that assignment. I didn't take onus. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to really care to be frank. Giannis could probably have a better season next year than he did this year. And he probably still won't get MVP again. I, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, He's got to he's got to take that next step. Now he's young. He's only twenty five. Probably be, I don't know his exact age when he'll turn twenty six, but he'll probably be twenty six or close to it around the time of the final. So he's still kind of young, but it's like all right, Giannis, time to show. I don't know though if this is enough to keep him. And I think it's December twenty first is the magical day where we'll we'll find out whether he is staying or not. Um, but if he does not accept the super max, expect a lot of rumors, expect a lot of trade offers, expect a lot of pressure. I mean, if he signs that super max, it's gonna alleviate 
the pressure on the Milwaukee Bucks organization, not the players. Unfortunately, like I said, Giannis is championship or bust pretty much from here on out if he stays in Milwaukee. But I do think the organization as a whole could take a sigh of relief. Like, okay, whew, if we don't win this year, we can retool and we can get back out there. But they gave up a lot of pit draft picks for Drew Holiday, which does kind of does kind of make you wonder how many assets they have left. Like, I don't think DJ Augustine is an attractive trade piece. I don't think Bobby Porter is an attractive trade piece. You know, it's pretty much Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton would be your best draft or tradable assets. But we'll see. You know, maybe the Bucks win the East and from here on out, he stays and Chris Middleton and him and Drew Holiday go on to have success. I think as far as the East goes, it's pretty much going to come down to them in Brooklyn. I just... I think the Bucks are better, but I don't look at them like I do maybe say the Lakers and like, damn, they're better. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. You know, Giannis still has just scratching the surface of his prime. Drew Holiday can finally get a sense to shine. And I think Chris Middleton in that third role, you know, just kind of like the scorer, kind of the X factor, the glue guy could, could really shine. But, you know, if Giannis signs the Supermax extension, then... A lot of the the chatter will probably die down about them, and we'll have another team to talk about. Um, but nonetheless, another team that I think got better, and if you guys actually listened to one of my older podcasts, I kind of was talking about this in the past. The Atlanta Hawks, they finally cashed in on their youth movement. Uh, Chris Dunn is a great ball defender. He's probably like the only defender they got on the team, so he's pretty much going to be guarding everybody, but Chris Dunn... Um, Rajon Rondo will be a great mentor. It'll allow Trey Young to play off the ball. Um, Rondo could probably get him in good spots, get him going. I do like that fit, uh, Rondo and, and Trey Young. I think some people don't like it because it's double point cards, but Rondo can kind of run the point, the traditional point, and Trey Young can play more as a two guard. Kind of like Steph Curry, right? Like Steph Curry can play the one or he could play off the ball. It really doesn't matter. Just give him the ball. And wherever he's at on the court, he can shoot it and get it in the hoop. So um, I like that. The Gallinari signing was good. Um, I think they're definitely a threat to make the playoffs in the East. I think it's a little bit of a log jam there. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll look into that more a little bit later on when I try to really evaluate where I think everyone stands. But I do think the Hawks got better. I think they'll be a fun team to watch. I think they'll be one of those uh, sleeper teams that even if, you know, they're not winning a lot of games, which I don't think that'll happen, but let's just say hypothetically here, I think they'll still be fun to watch. I think they'll still put up a lot of points. And in the East, you know, hey, anything is possible in the East, man. Uh, Jimmy Butler went to the Heat, and some people didn't even think the Heat were going to make the playoffs before the season started, and they went to the finals. So... What I'm saying is I like that nucleus. I like the way they all fit. You do wonder, um, John Collins, how that's going to work. I know he's going to start to want his extension soon. Um, but I think they did good in cashing in now before they start to have to pay Trey Young, um, John Collins. They also got Clint Capello, so they got a traditional center. I mean, that lineup, I'm not really sure you know, if they'll start Rondo or Dunn or bring them off the bench. But, you know, you probably got your bigs and – Capella and Collins. I've heard they're going to try to bring Gallo off the bench. Um, Trey Young. You got those three core starters, and you wonder if they go with the young guys. Um, I, Rondo or Dunn will probably start. If I had to say, I'd probably bet Rondo, but we'll have to wait and see. 
I don't know. Um, just kind of hypothetically speaking there, but the Hawks are definitely going to be a team on the rise in the East. Definitely would not be surprised if they make the playoffs. Definitely wouldn't be surprised if they put up a lot of points and make some noise this year. And another team that I think got better in the East uh, are the Philadelphia 76ers. I like the moves that they made. I like the, even though you basically traded Al Horford for Danny Green, which on paper, you know, seems a little odd, right? Like you don't think it would get better. Um, And then the Seth Curry acquisition, you know, I like those moves because now finally, Finally, I know Sixers fans are probably saying the same thing. Like, finally, damn, we got something close to J.J. Reck again because Simmons and Embiid just need those shooters on them to, to spread the, the floor out. I mean, there's a big difference between the 2018 Sixers um, and then the 2026 Sixers. You still got Tobias Harris. Um, you still got, obviously, Embiid and Simmons. You can play them together. You got Dwight now off the bench, I think. I don't. I didn't. I never. If you know, if you've talked to me before, you know I did not. I could not stand the Horford and Bead fit. So I think sometimes it was addition by subtraction, and I think now with you get Embiid in the middle, you know you can get Dwight off the bench to kind of bring some defense, but you get Embiid starting center. I mean, if this is me now, this is just me thinking out loud. Your your starting lineup will probably look something. You know, Embiid, Sim- Simmons. I think you could. You know, they they experimented running with Simmons at the power forward. I don't know, um, but you could do something realistically. Uh, let's just think out loud here. You could you could start Shake again, like they were doing in the bubble. Shake Milton, Ben Simmons. Uh, start Danny Green. Start Tobias Harris. Start Embiid, and then off your bench with Seth Curry and Dwight Howard, plus the other role players they have. All of a sudden, that that team to me is a lot better. Like I like that team much better on paper, and just what I would you know perceive as a good fit or a good mesh with those guys. So I and I do like that move. They they did add Doc Rivers. Not the biggest Doc Rivers fan, and he might coach them right out of the playoffs. So, you know he might coach them to a good regular season, but coach them right out of the playoffs. Um, but nonetheless. I think it's probably still a coaching upgrade. As hard as I am on Doc Rivers, he's still probably one of the better coaches in the league. And maybe him getting there and providing some direction can kind of help them out and and get them on the right track. But I do think the Sixers are an improved team. I wouldn't be surprised if they're fighting for home court in the East, that's for sure. Um, A team in the East that I think probably got worse and at least temporarily, is the Boston Celtics. They, for one, they lost Gordon Hayward for nothing. Um, I There's also the, the injury concerns with Kemba. We don't know when he'll be back. Now, they signed Jeff T, which is going to be a crucial signing because he might have to end up starting um, at least early on. But Kemba's not due till at least January. Um they got they lost Gordon Hayward for nothing. Now one could argue um, that they never really had Gordon Hayward because two out of his three years there in Boston, he was pretty much just bogged down by injury issues. So maybe you could kind of use that as a counter argument, but still, I think um, that was a tough loss for them. Now. 
Tristan Thompson was an interesting signing. They needed a big in the middle. They needed a big in the middle in the worst way because Bam Adebayo tore them up in the Eastern Conference Finals. So at least maybe now Bam and other bigs will have a little bit more trouble scoring on them. But Boston really needed a big. So they're not like worse, worse. But with the Kemba injury and we don't know how that's going to go. And just Danny Ainge was trying to trade him. It's just, eh. They, they could have had Miles Turner. They could have did the deal with Indiana where it was basically sign and trade. That was the rumor that they were going to trade Gordon Hayward for Miles Turner, but Danny Ainge did not want to go through with that. So I don't know. Uh, maybe Danny Ainge knows something we don't, and Miles Turner isn't what he used to be, which to me is kind of odd because he – I mean, yeah, he's he might not be an all-star, but he can protect the paint, and he's actually not a bad three-point shooter um, for big men. So I don't know why they would turn it down, but I do think the one thing about Danny Ainge is he's a little bit too shrewd of an operator. I, I've i never looked at Danny Ainge the same after he did the Isaiah Thomas trade, where basically after all Isaiah Thomas did, and he played her, and, you know, obviously he— he got injured worse because of it, and Danny Ainge traded him. In fact, that was one of the reasons Anthony Davis's father said he would not want Anthony Davis to play for the Boston Celtics. And here's another thing, too. The Celtics have now lost Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, and Gordon Hayward for nothing. These dudes were just like, you know what? Forget this. I'm out. So there's something there about Danny Ainge and the culture and it's I don't know I, there's definitely I, I'd be interested maybe in like 10 years or so from now if some stories came out but something's not all right there I think the problem at a high level here is Danny Ainge runs the Celtics a little too much like a business where people are expendable and he doesn't take into consideration that these players are actual people that need to be treated with respect and not products so yeah, I, I I just, you know, that that's the thing. Now, they did get a good trade exception when they did the sign-and-trade with Gordon Hayward. So they could obviously get someone for about $27 million or whatever um, via the trade exception they got. So maybe not all is lost with Celtics yet, but I just feel like, to me, there, there's no way that they got better. In fact, they probably got a little worse um, because now you have no real backup score because you know Gordon Hayward was great off the great for them period but especially great for them if Tatum and Brown couldn't get it going now it's pretty much going to be Brown and Tatum just doing everything um until Kemba gets back and Kemba's probably I I love Kemba Kemba was you know he plays with his heart too but you wonder how much more he's got left in tank he didn't look great in the bubble now maybe that's just injury and maybe when he comes back everything will be all good but you do wonder um, if the Celtics are going to be able to really just keep up with the East because the East with the the Nets coming in just puts a whole nother team. You got the Heat who were unexpectedly way better than in expected, and you know they're going to be knocking on the door trying to get back into the NBA Finals. Um, and then you got the the Nets, the Bucks. So you just have a lot going on there, and I don't. 
know the Sixers getting better. I just don't know if I consider the the Celtics a top four team in the East right now because there's probably another team I'm not even thinking of right now that is in that mix as well. But nonetheless, we'll kind of just have to wait and see how that goes. And speaking of the team that made the trade or got Gordon Hayward, I just want to take a little time to talk about the Charlotte Hornets, give my thoughts on that. Um, I don't it's it is the most indifferent I've been about a move and I feel like I've switched opinions on it two or three times now and that is the Charlotte Hornets signing Gordon Hayward because a part of me is like why would they do this why would they pay Gordon Hayward four years 120 million dollars especially when he's already 30 years old. That means he'll be 34 at the end of the contract. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Gordon Hayward is actually going to have a great year for the Hornets. I think you're going to see a Gordon Hayward that you really haven't seen since Indiana. And I think he could provide great veteran leadership. But you're paying the guy about $30 million a year. Not to mention you had one year left on the Nick Batum deal for $27 million. You had to waive Nick Batum to get that. So now you're just going to have $9 million of dead cap space. To put that into perspective, uh, Serge, Trez Harrell, and Tristan Thompson all signed for about two years, $19 million. You basically have a player of that caliber, salary-wise, just n- not on your team. You know, you got nine million, and you, nobody's taking up counting against your salary cap. So you're essentially paying Gordon Hayward thirty nine million the first three years of that deal. Like, whew, that is tough when you really look at it from the salary cap perspective. You also got Lamelo Ball now, and you wonder, like, all right, do they want Gordon Hayward to come in and kind of be a leader and sort of like a pseudo mentor figure to Lamelo Ball? Um, Especially as Lamelo gets up and running, because Lamelo's going to be gunning. <laughs> if you have watched or read anything about Lamelo Ball, this dude is a gunner. Um, there's the highlights where he scored like 90 points, which you know, hey, this guy can obviously score because 90 points in any type of game is incredible. But you know, he was just running up at like past half court, just jacking the shot. So you do wonder maybe if you need Gordon Hayward to kind of initiate your offense, get the playmaking going. And show LaMelo the ropes. But I was thinking, and this is the problem with the Charlotte Hornets. I feel like they get good enough. And I say good enough, like, because for them, for them, you know, making the playoffs is, is good here in Charlotte. Unfortunately, making the playoffs is good. Like, that's a good year if you're the Hornets. Since they've came back, I'm putting quotes up. Y'all can't see him, but I'm putting quotes up as the Bobcats since the quote-unquote Bobcats slash Hornets era. They've only made the playoffs three times. Two of those years, they've been swept. One year, they actually took the Miami Heat to seven games, but they did not get it done. And the highest they've ever been is a six seed. So it's really, you know, one of those things where it's like, all right, they get to that level, and then they're like, all right, well, we're not good enough to win the title, so let's blow it up. And then they start to regress, as they did. Then the problem is the, the fans and everyone gets impatient, like, oh, man, we're not good. We're not good. We got to get better. We got to get better. 
and they don't see the process through. And this has been a very terrible trend for Charlotte for quite some time. The same thing happened. They built the team up in 2010 with Gerald Wallace, Stephen Jackson, Tyson Chandler, Raymond Felton, and those guys. And then they went to the playoffs, got swept by the Magic, and basically MJ said, you know what, this team's not good enough. We're not even going to win the first round. Let's just blow it up. Then they build it back up. They get Kemba and all those guys, makes it to the playoffs two out of three years in 2014, 2016. They then re-sign everybody after the 2016 season, and the team just regresses. They also let key players go. Like You guys know, if you know me, you know I really like the way Jeremy Lin and Kemba Walker played together. They let Al Jefferson go, who was basically the, the person, with the exception of Kemba, that put the, the Bobcats slash Hornets back on the map when he signed in 2013. So... They do that a lot, and I think they just get impatient. They're like, oh, man, we we, we got to get better. We got to get better. We got and, and they put these little Band-Aid moves. So I'm not big on it. I think looking from an unbiased perspective, I think it would have been better if the Hornets kind of just took a year or two to not, uh, you know, for lack of better terms, trust the process, so to say, um, and just get LaMelo Ball, you know, get another good draft pick, get a couple more good role players here and there, and just build the team organically. Um, this Gordon Hayward move screams like, hey, we want to make the playoffs. And I, I, you know, I, I even with the Gordon Hayward move, I can't guarantee that they'll make the playoffs. Like, I think there's a lot of te- There's probably about 10 teams in the East just on paper that I'd put over them. I really would. Um, so I'm just – I'm kind of just really confused. Not to mention um, – now, maybe some good things will happen because they got a big point guard jam. They got Terry Rozier, um, Devontae Graham, and then they also got LaMelo Ball now. So one of those guys is going to have to go. So maybe they'll they'll make a move here or there to you know help alleviate that point guard jam. But – Right now, I'm just I'm just really confused by what the Hornets are trying to do. Like, are they trying to sell tickets? Like, you know, by just being competitive enough, so that when people go to the games, they'll know at least the Hornets have a fighter's chance. Or do they really think that Gordon Hayward is the missing piece and they're about to go on a dynamic run? So, not big on it um, overall. I think, like I said at first, I was like, oh man, Jordan's Jordan's really going out there. He's really trying to make some stuff happen. And then it's like, well, but wait, we're about to be paying this dude. And I say we, like the Charlotte Hornets, Charlotte's about to be paying this dude $39 million because of the Batum waving a year for the first three years. That just doesn't seem like good money. But maybe, I don't know, I did hear, I think it was Zach Lowe say, I did hear him say something. Maybe the Hornets were better off just spending it on Gordon Hayward because since they're gonna ha- they were going to have a bunch of cap space in 2021 they maybe just said well we'll sign Gordon Hayward because in 2021 they would have been overpaying the scraps that didn't get the big deals um in the in the loaded free agency class which is next year so more to come um we'll see there but gonna go ahead and just wrap up the podcast for today um I will be for those of you who this is your first time listening, I will be making more content 
like I said in the intro, both old school and new school. I'm going to look to do um, two weekly podcasts, one more old school theme, one more current NBA events, and um, just keep this momentum going. So um, if you haven't, you know, like I said, please leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And um, for now, I'll go ahead and let you guys go, but enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk some hoops soon.